Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. It is Tuesday, February 12th, and this is online editor Michael Abernathy. I'm here with reporter Isaac Groves. Hello, everyone. And uh, we wanted to talk for a few minutes about uh, a case that Isaac watched go through Superior Court yesterday. It was yesterday, right? It was yesterday. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and give this caveat, everybody. It is cold and flu season, and we are suffering mightily in the Times News office. So uh, please bear with us. We're going to try to be as uh, coherent as possible. And just pretend that there's a cat hawking up a hairball in the corner someplace if you hear anything untoward. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the case. Okay. Uh, uh, Gwendolyn Ray Cloutier, uh, she's a, she was living in Mebane at the time she was charged. She's still living in Alamance County, um, but uh, she's a 47-year-old woman. She, had, uh, she was charged with uh, a variety of sex offenses for uh, an appropriate relationship with a 15-year-old. This was somebody who she knew through her daughter, um, and according to the prosecutor, he was asleep on the couch at her house and woke up, um, and there was something happening, and uh, it wasn't the only time it happened. They apparently later, according to the prosecutor, uh, Rick Champion had an encounter in a car. And these things that happened in the weeks up, leading up to his 16th birthday, which is, of course, the legal cutoff point for mm-hmm. the serious felonies that she was charged with. She ended up pleading. This this happened in She was charged in October of 2016. The actual events were supposed to be happening late March, early April 2016. Uh, it came out. When the victim in this case was called to testify uh, in family court, it was a custody hearing um, by her estranged husband, and then it became a uh, criminal case from there. Uh, she ended up pleading to two counts of contributing to the delinquency of a minor, which is a class one misdemeanor. Um, and it, according to state sentencing laws, you cannot actually get an active sentence on this. So that means you yeah. can't get any prison time, can't get jail time. She ended up with unsupervised probation, which is essentially, you know, don't do it again. And yeah. um, she doesn't have to register. Yeah. No uh, sex offender registry, no community service. Uh, she's not allowed to have contact with him or his family. Uh, I understand that his family wasn't particularly, uh, I hadn't heard anything directly from his family. The prosecutor did mention that, you know, his father had questioned um, the, uh, how this plea was going to be worked out. The victim himself did not seem to have a problem with it. He was not in court. He um, has been living out of state for some time. His family had moved him out of state for a while. Apparently he had run into some trouble. I don't know if it was related, but they felt that he was better off in Illinois for a few years. So that's where he has been. And, but he was willing to come back to North Carolina to see this case resolved. Although, like I said, he didn't actually yeah. see it. But what he met with prosecutors, that's, that's kind of yeah. what you made it sound like from what Rick Champion said. In court. Yeah. He, he, Rick Champion did talk to him he, and he did come to North Carolina. Um, so, but in, in one of, and Rick has, has just been brought back into the prosecutor's office. He was a longtime prosecutor and then mm-hmm. he was in, in private practice for many years. And, and when the Sean Boone took, it became Alamance County district attorney, he brought Rick Champion back because he wanted to bring back some seasoned prosecutors, um, to take care of. I think there are some, some cases that have been languishing for a number of years, including yeah. this one. Yeah. Um, so they've been sort of 
working through this pile, or at least they're the way they talk about it. Yeah. So part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is because uh, the reaction that um, we had when this first came up last week, and then right. also the, the judging from the reaction that we've gotten online. Right. Um, from people seeing this um, and being surprised at how lenient the Senate seems compared to what she was charged with. Um, yeah. And I th- that, that's totally understandable when people are charged. I mean, she her lawyer, Woody Van, who's pretty well known lawyer in Durham. He uh, someone pointed out to me, he defended uh, Crystal Gale Mango when she stabbed her boyfriend in 2011. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So and that's for everybody that is. Uh, she was the one who pro- she accused the uh, Duke lacrosse players of, yeah. of rape. And then apparently her story did not hold up. And Durham district attorney lost his job and his license to practice law over it. A real mess. But anyway, a couple of years yeah. after all that, um, she was charged with murder. And so anyway, Woody Van, totally unrelated, but he, he was her lawyer and he was he was. Claudia's lawyer as well. Woody Van said that uh, his client was well aware that she could have gotten uh, a very long sentence had she been found guilty on all of those charges. Which which did include um, the statutory rape of a child, two counts, and then two counts of sex offense with a child. Um, and indecent liberties. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I've, you and I have both seen people get, you know, to plus more than that. Oh yeah, 25, 30, uh, yeah, I mean, statutory rape is is a very serious crime in North Carolina. Sometimes hard to prove, but when provable, yeah, um, it carries a lengthy prison sentence. Yeah, and it's, it's mandatory. Yeah, and um, actually, I've had defense attorneys tell me in the past if they would have shot this person uh, and been charged with second degree murder, they would have gotten less time, right, uh, or convicted of that. And and that's true. That's the case. Yeah, um, and you know, perhaps rightly, perhaps not. But the the big as with all sex crimes, and I guess with all crimes, but especially sex crimes, it's it, it's a question of proving it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there tends to be two people in the room when these things are happening, and I understand that that was the case in this case. There's also the question of exactly when it happened, because from what I understood from what the prosecutor was saying in the courtroom, it didn't stop after his 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happened before his 16th birthday is 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 a felony. So that gives that gives your defense lawyer some room to maneuver there you have uh you know are you gonna you're gonna ask your victim up there you know were you sure about this date how do you know it was before your birthday um exactly what happened on that time before your birthday so there were times when this happened but times when that happened so that wouldn't be considered a felony so i think it would have been a difficult trial yeah um a difficult case to make um and it was also kind of an old case so yeah and I think it was a case that a number of people were not satisfied. I mean, there were people in the courtroom who were obviously there to watch that particular pleading who did not seem to be particularly sympathetic to the defendant. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure if they were relatives of the victim or um, in-laws. But uh, yeah. because I, I did get the I, I have heard from people who who were who were uh, from that coming at her from that perspective. They, uh, OK. Um, I think there's been some hard feelings about this in a, in a lot of quarters. That was my impression is that there was just, it was a. These it, are always he said, she said cases, but right. it, it, this one may have been fuzzier than. Right. And then, you know, I, I mean, no one has said this uh, to me uh, as far as, 
you know, prosecutors have not said this to me, but I think people tend not to take it as seriously when it's a, a woman and a young man, or in this case, yeah. a boy. I, I don't think you're wrong about that. No, I mean, that's, I mean, it's sort of a, it's a penthouse letter, you know? Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not trying to say that that's what this yes. is, because I think that yeah. this, I mean, I got the impression this did affect this young man. But he's also, I mean, he's willing to cooperate with prosecutors. He did talk to law enforcement, but I don't think that he was on fire to put her in prison. I mean, I just, I don't know that for sure, but that's the impression I got just from talking to people who were involved. Um, I think his family definitely was angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also, he's 19 years old. Um, you know, I, I imagine he's trying to move on with his life. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think there's uh, this idea that there's somewhat a double standard. Oh, yeah, sure. uh, when, when women are charged with these crimes, uh, and and young young men or or uh, even I guess older boys uh, are are the victims. Um, yeah, there there there's just a different way. Uh, I think we look at boys and girls in society, right? And and just this idea of the male conquest, and like you said, a right. a penthouse letter and idea of it. It's hard to look at it that some sometimes in cases like this where uh, where it's just viewed by the system as maybe not as serious. Well, and I think I think statutory rape in general has become has been taken more seriously in the past twenty years or so than it used to be. Right. Um, and 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 I think the level of of outrage we're seeing of this is actually kind of encouraging because it is it does seem that people are starting to take it more seriously when it when it happens to boys. Um, yeah. There have been some real and sorry, I'm interjecting here. Yeah. There have been some really, really great uh, stories, first person accounts that I've read of of men by men who are now coming forward uh, in this whole edge of Me Too and sexual harassment and sexual assault and saying, "Yeah, so I'm I'm also a victim, and it really messed me up." Right. Um, um, well, that's interesting because I I haven't read those, and it's a story that I don't think you hear as much. No, uh, but. I mean, we have had, I mean, we have had cases where so we were just talking about uh, Robert Wooten. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a teacher at you know, Walter Williams High School. And I think that case was in the system for a little while before it was resolved. And when it was resolved, uh, I mean, he had to plead guilty to a felony, uh, but he did not have to register either. And he got no prison time. Yeah. And there was, there was some upset about that. Right. And that was well. um, reverse scenario, adult male right a uh, uh, teenage uh, female student yeah and he ended up uh, doing yeah. some community service he was cleaning the windows at the courthouse oh you know after that sentence was handed out which I guess it's not necessarily a great sign to say it also happens when uh, when you're you're uh, you're dealing with a man um, and that's the thing about the justice system is uh, it treats each case individually as it must and that means you often get inconsistencies in the treatment of of defendants and victims um and you know when you put it in front of a jury you never know what's going to happen that's true i have seen cases where i was talking to one of the clerks once who said i have never been in a trial where everybody in the room i mean i was talking to the record reporter the court reporter i was talking to the bailiffs i was talking you know everybody in the room thought this is obviously guilty and the jury came back real fast with mm-hmm. a not guilty. Um, you know, I tend not to, to assume guilt when I'm covering a trial. I remember trials where I was going yeah. that. Yeah, that's that. I believe her. He is lying. 
and yeah, no, you you go in with an open mind, right? And but you know when you sit there, you go, huh? There's absolutely no reason she would make this up, mm-hmm. and the jury doesn't feel that way. So I think that's the way prosecutors approach this: is is what can they do? Yeah, and in this case, they, they did not. I don't know that they went after it as as hard as they could. I mean, Rick Champion's a competent prosecutor and a very good lawyer, so yeah. uh, he knows what he's doing. So I. Uh, I imagine he handled it as as best as as he could, uh, but yeah, I don't think that um, I don't think it's going to make anybody feel better about how it how it turned yeah. out. I'm glad you brought that up about each case is its individual thing. Uh, it's it's an easy point, uh, I think, to overlook because we get into patterns. Right. We love to find patterns with our brains just as human beings. Um, and we work in this, we cover this system that, um, that tries to fit everything into a pattern in the right. way it, um, uh, just brings a case against you and tries that case. And then the way people are sentenced and the way, I mean, there's a, a literal chart and a grid and right. you fit somewhere in that chart depending on who you are. But, um, we're trying to apply a systematic approach to chaotic behavior. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and and right. ha- yeah, and, and, and in fairness, it has to take things on individually. But you know, we want to look at things in terms of data in a lot of cases, especially mm-hmm. these days. And and uh, it's hard to do that in a lot of ways. It is, it is, and I think it makes. Um, and I'm getting off on a big tangent. I might edit this out, but I think it it makes it difficult. Yeah, you know, this uh, this systemic systemic racism. racism yeah. Thank you uh, of a system, and when people charge that and accuse that. When you look at broad numbers, maybe it's easy to see that, right? Right. But when you're looking at a case by case, it can be hard. Like you give me, you give me ten cases to look, go look at how they were disposed of, and depending on which ten cases they are, um, I may not find anything, right, that looks like uh, systemic racism or or bias in the system. And I'm way off on a tangent here. Well, yeah, but. Your your I mean, your your point is valid. It is, it is hard to find uh, patterns in a system where these things can take months and years to get resolved. You know, I mean, it takes often well, around here. It's been taken. It's taken generally a year, two years, three years uh, to get anything to trial. Um, if it's a particularly complicated you know case, or sometimes even to get things pled out. And then if you do end up going to trial, that's you know days, weeks. Yeah. Um, one thing that we hadn't talked about that I, I was thinking about, um, it, it, yeah, it does seem like there's a double standard, but it's also, it's a, it's a crime that's charged a lot less. I mean, there's, you find, I assume it's a, it's more rare for women to do this to boys than mm-hmm. it is for men to do this to girls. It, when you, yeah. that's one of the reasons that I've, I've would see this case come up on the calendar and I always keep an eye out on it because it's just unusual to see women charged with sex offenses. Um, it's, you know, we tend to think of it as a guy thing. Um, well, no, I don't think I, I like that. It's tend to be something that, that the kind of bad behavior that is more common among men. And, uh, and it's also the kind of crime that's, you know, wildly underreported. Right. So when men are caught and are prosecuted successfully, yeah, they drop the hammer on them because, you know, I think they're just trying to scare the rest of us out right. of doing Shoot one, bad scare things. things. Right. You know, and I don't, I don't have a statistical basis to say that women don't do this as much. It's just my impression. Now, maybe yeah. that's, maybe that's my double standard. Right. I don't know. I should look that up. But it certainly from where we sit does not 
you're right. doesn't look like it. You just don't see nearly as much of it. I mean, I see indecent liberties with a minor uh, on basically every court calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, I see it every couple of weeks at the magistrate's office. I mean, it's it's something that happens around here a lot. And it's just really unusual for it to be a woman that's charged. Yeah. I, I can, I'm trying to think, actually, and I could probably count at the most on two hands, the number of women I've seen charged uh, in the last 12 years here uh, with sex offenses. Um, it's it's pretty rare. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Isaac, for what you do. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. for sharing uh, what you saw and heard in the courtroom uh, yesterday. This story and many others are up on the timesnews.com. See you later. Bye-bye. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.